Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this how-to episode, we will look at the times and ways we can share God's love and light courageously in our circles of influence. I looked up the word courage and courageous in the Strong's Greek and Hebrew Dictionary and learned that there were 38 words to describe them in the Greek language and 25 words to describe them in the Hebrew language. I took notes on what the definitions meant in this word list, looking at all 63 Greek and Hebrew words and saw some patterns. There were some adjectives like bold, confident, brave, mighty, strong, courageous. Then there were some verbs that revealed the actions of courageous people, like to conquer, to stand, to speak freely, to act confidently, to prevail, to put to flight. But then there was a bunch of words that I didn't expect on this list, like breath, wind, heart, inner man, mind, and will. That last bit reminded me of the Holy Spirit and the definition of the spiritual heart. So I asked the Lord to explain it to me. And he said, you cannot be courageous without me. I am Almighty God. I am all strength, power, and truth. The power to be courageous comes from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Agree with me and you will find the courage to do all things because I strengthen your spirit and your soul, which includes your mind, will, and emotion. And align them with me and I move you to courageous boldness. You don't borrow courage from me. You tap into the endless courage of me. I can see that, Lord. We're not taking a sip of your courage. We're immersed in your courage. Those prepositions make a big difference, don't they? Standing up for God takes courage. Esther from the Bible knew this very well. In 479 BC, King Xerxes of Persia held a Cinderella-like ball to find a replacement for Queen Vashti, who had behaved disrespectfully and was banished. All the eligible bachelorettes of the day were summoned to a royal harem. The king found favor with Esther, and he made her queen. She was young and beautiful, a Jewish woman who had been raised by her uncle Mordecai because she was orphaned at a young age. No one knew that Esther was a Jew. Haman, the king's right-hand man, despised Mordecai, so much so that Haman convinced the king to issue an irrevocable edict that called for the killing of all people with Jewish descent. Mordecai came to the palace to speak to Esther about the ramifications of this edict. He wanted her to know what would happen and that she was in a unique position to do something about it. Esther 4.14 says, If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Esther had to talk with the king. Even though she was queen, this was a very dangerous proposition. We can't look at this situation with present cultural filters. If Esther walked into the king's court unannounced, the penalty was execution, unless the king extended his scepter of approval. She prayed and fasted for several days and asked other Jews to do the same. During that time, God gave her the plan. The king welcomed Esther and found favor with her. The story ends with the bad guy hanging in the gallows and the Jews being saved. Esther found the strength and courage from God to allow him to fulfill his plan for the rescue of the Jewish nation through her courageous obedience. I encourage you to read the entire exciting story in the book of Esther.
If you keep quiet about the truth of God's plan for people at a time like this, God will accomplish his will through someone else, but you will miss a blessing and maybe even your eternal reward. There are four ways that you can leverage your life circumstances to share the light and faith of Christ in this present culture, and they're all related to truth. Know the truth, have the courage to tell the truth, lead people to the truth, and live out the truth. We'll talk about each one. Know the truth. I was born in an upper-middle-class Ohio family in the richest country in the world. It was a time where morals were just about to slip into a selfish spiral that would breed a spirit of rebellion and an entitlement mentality. Today in America, the prevailing messages that we learn from television and other forms of media are things like, fathers are stupid. Women who don't have a professional job are less important than women who do. Disrespectful children are cute. Immorality is okay if you find a way to justify it. Religion and science are contradictory. Your dysfunctional upbringing defines the limit of your potential. It's okay to kill your unborn baby. Youth is better and more respectable than old age. Your circumstances and financial bottom line dictate your happiness. Not long ago, even in this country, these messages would have been appalling. But to us, they're woven so tightly into the fabric of our cultural reality, we don't even notice the messages when we see them. Your birthplace, time, and circumstances are critical environmental factors to your worldview. God placed you right where he did in the continuum of time for his good purposes. He gave us the Bible as unchanging ultimate truth to help us navigate the waters of life, no matter what the world was telling us to believe. God wants us to be holy like him. He wants us to shine his light and his truth in a dark world. Now here's a list of some messages of truth in the Bible that Christians should be sharing and encouraging in our culture. God loves you. Children are a blessing. Life is precious at any age. Motherhood is noble and fulfilling. Strong, loving fathers are the key to healthy families. Healthy families lead to a healthy society. Science explains God's world. God fully equips you for his great plans and purposes. Your weaknesses are your strengths. You can turn around any situation in life. God can free anyone from any bondage. You can find the power to overcome all circumstances through Christ. The Bible can guide you in all areas of your life. Wisdom from the Bible is unchanging and relevant to us today. All work is God-honoring. No job is more important than any other. God's truth is still God's truth. We need to spend time in the Word and in prayer, as we have already discussed in other podcasts, so that the truth can be recognized by us first, and we can recognize the lies when we see them. Remember, this is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. Freedom from limiting beliefs is found in the Bible. The eternal perspective is necessary for us to have the courage to face the trials and tribulations of this fallen world. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still wants the same things that he always has wanted, for you to have a relationship with him and for you to live out the perfect plans he has for you. What does it take to have the courage to tell the truth? Well, let's first look at the reasons that Christians don't typically share their faith with others and see if you recognize yourself in any of these excuses. Lack of knowledge. I'm not a pastor or a biblical scholar. What if somebody asks me a question about God that I can't answer? I don't want to say the wrong thing. Fear of judgment. 
If I tell people that I'm a Christian, they will expect me to be perfect. I'm not perfect, and there are enough Christian hypocrites out there. Location. God is for Sundays at church. I can't talk about God at work. I'll get fired. Fear of what people will think. I know this person needs prayer, but if I offered to pray for them on the spot, they would probably think I'm a freak. Lack of conviction. I don't want to push my faith on other people. It's not my business what they believe. I've used all of these excuses, and many more, until I got some clarity about the differences between God's role in these circumstances and mine. Let's look at each of the examples above and break them down by roles and responsibilities. Let's talk now about the lack of knowledge excuse. It is your responsibility to learn about the Bible and continue to build your own personal relationship with Christ. It is true that years of Bible reading and study and meditation will help you find and share helpful verses and apply them to your life. But the moment that the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart, He is present and all-knowing. He will do all the talking in conversations if you ask Him to and surrender your mind and your mouth to Him. The minute that a person asks me a question about a Bible verse or Jesus, I just pray for God to give me a scripture and words that will help guide me. I might not know what book or verse to go look for, but I can lead anyone to the Bible with some tools that will help them find it for themselves easily. The easiest way is just Google the one or two words that you remember about a verse in the search bar of any computer engine, and the verse will just be there. That one tip takes the load off a lot of responsibility of my shoulders, and then I'm free to be helpful. Let's look at the fear of judgment. Now, this is a big one. No human being has ever been perfect, save for the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is the standard for perfection, not his followers. God doesn't want Christians to pretend to be perfect. He wants us to be authentic. It is actually our weakness and authenticity that allow us to be the most effective for the kingdom. When you mess up, admit that you messed up. Model forgiveness and repentance in your life, and it will add credibility to your witness. Pride is the sin of hypocrites. Ask God to help you peel off the layers of pride, and you'll be more effective in helping people fall in love with your God. God's job is to be perfect, and our job is to live authentically each day by His grace. So when someone expects you to be perfect, just direct them back to Jesus. He Himself is the standard location, or the place that you can speak about Christ. The definition of integrity is to be whole and not divided, to be the same wherever you go. God doesn't want you to have a compartmentalized heart. If you believe God in church on Sunday, then you should be believing God at work on Monday. I'm not advocating that you push tracks under people's noses at work or preach sermons at the lunch table. You can be more effective as a witness by just doing your job with integrity and being gracious and loving under pressure. When you spend time with God, you will be more like Him and people will ask you what water you're drinking. Make Jesus attractive to people by showing them that you have been transformed by Him. Don't push Jesus on people. Let people ask you about Jesus. Then let the Holy Spirit do the talking. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers, and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive, so that you will have the right response for everyone. 
What about the fear of what people will think? Prayer is one of the very best ways you can shine your light. The Holy Spirit will let you know when a person really needs prayer. God may want you to pray for a perfect stranger or a member of your family. If someone is hurting, it is so powerful to ask if you can pray for them. It's even more powerful when you actually do. To say I'll pray for you is good, but asking if you can pray for them right now in this moment shows you mean business. I can only remember one time when somebody refused prayer when I asked them if they were willing to pray in that moment. In my experience, people usually appreciate it when you pray and often comment later how much it helped them and blessed them when you did. I always love to hear reports of answered prayers. It's the Holy Spirit's job to prompt us and give us the prayer. It's our job to listen and do it. When you are praying with a person, pray for God's best will over them, and that will bless them. If you don't do it, you not only miss the blessing of being God's vessel to bless somebody else, but they will as well. Let's look at the lack of conviction. There are plenty of roles that people can play on the road to someone's decision for Christ. One person may have shared their own testimony. Another lives their faith well. Some may lead you to the Bible and help you understand the truths in it. Another may answer your questions or just spend time helping you understand God's plan for you. All of these roles are part of the salvation process. When someone is ready to receive Christ, they or the Holy Spirit will tell you they're ready. Regardless of the various roles people play along the way, the job of salvation is always the Holy Spirit's. You can't take credit or blame for anyone's decision. Salvation is a deal made one-on-one with the Holy Spirit. Never be pushy about faith. It does not honor God to offend people with your witness. Your job is to spend time with God in the Word and prayer so you can become more like Jesus. Then you can live out your faith in a way that makes Jesus attractive. The Holy Spirit's job is to lead, guide, and show you the way so that you can help others do the same. One common denominator that many of these excuses have in common is self. Self is the biggest barrier to the work of the Holy Spirit. Self-consciousness, self-centeredness, selfish desires, self-deprecating thoughts— The reason that the self-issues are such a barrier to freedom and block the Holy Spirit is because the focus is on you and not on God's power, His love, His plans, and His kingdom purposes. Self-consciousness, for example, is the root cause of the fear of what people will think of you because your eyes are fixed on seeking approval from others instead of seeking approval from God. When we learn how to begin with God rather than the beginning with ourselves, the Lord can overcome every barrier. A seed is a metaphor for the Christian life. Like a cell in the human body, a seed has the complete genetic code needed to become what it's designed to become. In its initial form, it doesn't look like much, and it certainly does not look like what its potential is to become. Like the seed embryo, We all have divine potential that God has planned for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13 reminds us that God has plans for all of us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me 
and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The conditions need to be right before we can be ready for that future. For some, it might look like hitting rock bottom in a life of progressive habitual sin. For others, it might be realizing that there must be something better for them than a boring, humdrum existence. Some cry out in the midst of tragic life circumstances, and others are just gradually made ready by the prayers of loved ones or steady deposits of the words, messages of hope. Regardless of circumstantial differences, a softening of the heart shell of our hearts needs to occur. We must admit that we need God. We must accept his grace. It requires a death to self to soften and break open that hard shell of a heart hardened by life. Jesus tells us in John 12, 24, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So we must die to ourselves to find the joy. Farmers know very well that seeds need good soil, sunlight, water, weeding, and thyme to grow into fruit-bearing crops. With the right conditions, a tiny seed can produce food and multiply with hundreds and hundreds of more seeds. Healthy soil can produce a crop more than 100 times what it's sown. Think about what the world would look like if every Christian truly prepared their hearts, drank deeply of the living water, spent time in prayer and conversation with God and allowed him to fulfill their divine purposes to 100 times that which they labored. It certainly would be a completely different world. Even a small remnant of people that lived like that on the regular basis would multiply themselves to a culture that would become all about faith, hope, love, peace, and joy. That's what we have in us, in the seed of the Holy Spirit, to be able to be the light for everyone around us. Let's take the farmer and the seed metaphor just a bit farther and look at the Christian life through the eyes of a farmer. The soil is the nourishment for a plant. Soil is a critical component to a healthy plant and a healthy Christian life. Jesus shared the truth about this in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell upon rocky places where they did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but then the sun came and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus explained what these verses meant in Matthew thirteen eighteen to 23 Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last it only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. 
The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. Make sure your heart has healthy soil. You do so by spending time in the Word and learning more what it means from the Holy Spirit directly. Do not try to understand the Word from your mind. Jesus lives in the heart. This will keep your heart fed with the truth. Reading Bible commentaries and Christian books also keep your soil of your heart fertile for continued growth. Sunlight represents encouragement. Surround yourself with people who believe in God, you, and your mission. Let them shed the warm sunshine of encouragement and give you energy for the work. And be sunshine for others. God is the comforter, and there are so many encouraging verses in the Bible. Immerse yourself in these scriptures and spend a lot of time with the comforter himself because his encouragement will fill you up to overflowing. The living water is your revitalization. Water is absolutely necessary for life. We can live without food for much longer than we can live without water. Water refreshes, revitalizes, and brings health to plants and to our bodies. The living water is the Holy Spirit within each believer. He is there and is ready to revitalize us. But we must make Him welcome, spend time with Him, acknowledge Him, obey Him to receive our full blessings. It is through our prayer conversations and time with God that we engage with the Holy Spirit, fixing our eyes on Him and Him back on us. And that's how we get refreshed and renewed in the Spirit. Jesus taught us about the living water when He spoke to the woman at the well. In response to the woman's question about how could she give Jesus a drink from the well without a ladle, Jesus instructs us in John 4, 10-14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and all their livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As a believer, we have direct access to that living water continuously flowing from the heart of God into your heart. Tapping into the living water will grow you into the person that God has created you to become, your ideal Christ identity. Fertilizer. Learning from life's challenges. The manure in life is there to fertilize. Fertilization occurs when we learn from a challenging lesson in life. God brings us through a challenge and we are more equipped to serve and help others. By sharing what we have learned, we can encourage people and show them the way to the freedom that you found yourself. You are more useful to the kingdom healed than you would be sick or in sin. Or even from living an unchallenged life where you never have any reason to drop to your knees and learn a lesson from the Lord at all. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 commands us, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Weeding represents purging of all negativity. Weeds choke out the healthy crops and are fruitless. 
They quickly grow out of control, just like negative thoughts. Don't let negativity creep into your thought life because it will quickly kill off your dreams and your kingdom impact. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take negative thoughts captive, and that's how you weed your garden of your heart and stay on track for God's perfect plan for you. Negativity is Satan's bailiwick. When you cooperate with negativity, you empower the enemy's agenda against you. Time reminds us that patience is part of the Christian life. Can you imagine a farmer going out one day and planting some seeds, and then one week later being disappointed that there's no crop? Success takes time. Work on your Christian walk every day. God doesn't measure the outcome. He measures your journey. God wants to see you seeking Him and walking obediently every single day. This is how you grow steadily in your faith. Do not let impatience rob you of enjoying your life's journey. And finally, don't dig up your seeds. If a farmer were to plant a seed and then dig it up a few days later to see what was going on under the earth, it would not grow properly. Likewise, don't let your impatience get you off track. God prepares us day by day for our blessings and His perfect plans. We can lose our way quickly by getting ahead of God or getting behind Him. Getting ahead of Him is jumping ahead of what He's asked you to do. Lagging behind is letting fear stop you from walking one day at a time with God. Listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and He will get you where He wants you to go in His perfect timing. God's plans are wiser than ours. So we need to let God be in control of how he decides to keep his promises. Don't dig up your seeds. Listen carefully to God's voice and follow it closely. Stay close to God and he will lead you to that plan one day at a time. The one that he has specifically designed for you. Remember, it is a plan to prosper you and to give you hope and a future. Now let's talk about how to live out the truth. I have a link on the pattyej.podbean.com site for this episode of a film clip from King's Faith. Watch the short clip and see if you can relate to Brendan. He is in a big mess and he's trying to fix it with his own limited options and resources. Mike is Brendan's 18th foster parent, but he's the first one to have the courage to lead him to the truth. Mike explains to Brandon that he's not fighting a flesh and blood fight, but one with the powers of darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Mike tells Brandon that the enemy is afraid of what he can become if he finds victory in this situation. That's why it's so important to turn everything over to God. Mike shared one of the most classic of all memory verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Mike demonstrated the power of knowing the truth, having the courage to tell the truth, and how to use it to help somebody in trouble. The verse says, in all your ways, submit to him. What that's saying is that you don't do it your way, you have to do it his way. 
So we need to surrender to God because his ways are higher than ours, wiser than ours, better than ours, and we need to follow his ways. So he's saying, it's not just what I want for you to do, it's how I want for you to do it. I remember learning a powerful lesson from Pastor Charles Eduardos, who was a member of my Truth at Work Roundtable in Cleveland. That was an accountability group for people learning how to live out their faith in the workplace. Someone would say something defeating or limiting, and Charles would say, is that true? Because my Bible says, and then he would whip out a perfect scripture for the circumstance. It was an instant reframe for everyone in the room. In all cases, God is bigger than our challenges and our circumstances. So it is important for us to remember that the battles that we're fighting are actually spiritual battles and that the enemy is not your boss or your spouse or your kids. It's the enemy. So it's important for us to put on the full armor of God. The Bible gives us instruction on how to protect ourselves from the schemes of the enemy and how to fight back with the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all these, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the entire Lord's people. The full armor of God was a metaphor that would have been easily understood in the day it was written. Soldiers wore armor for protection in the battle. There was no covering for the back because soldiers marched forward, and if they turned their backs, it was a form of treason. There was no protection for treason. This is a good reminder for us that when we turn our backs on God, we forfeit his protection. But when we fight our battles with God, we have his full protection, and he's doing the fighting with us. Let's look at the individual pieces of armor. The belt of truth holds the armor in place. It represents discernment of the truth, sincerity, authenticity, and pure motives. So being true to yourself as well as being grounded in, anchored in God's truth. The breastplate of righteousness is representing Christ's righteousness. Christ is our heart covering. It protects our hearts from the lies that try to penetrate and steal our victories, destroy our souls. Feet fitted with the gospel of peace. This represents our willingness to walk with Christ by faith. It's our ability to stand our ground and march toward becoming our ideal Christ identity. Peace would be the fruit of that lifestyle. This is the peace that surpasses understanding. It is not conditional on external factors. The shield of faith allows us to believe God for his promises, even in the midst of trials and temptations. It is the faith of God that we are accessing as one of the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
The helmet of salvation is the wisdom and discernment that comes from spending time in the word and the knowledge of the difference between the biblical truth and Satan's lies. Submit your own mind to the Lord. Surrender it to his perfect wisdom. We have the ability to tap into the very mind of God. This is what gives us the wisdom and discernment to be able to live out the truth in this culture. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It is the only offensive weapon. All other armor pieces are protection. Speaking Bible truth sends the enemy packing. There is power in the word of God activated by a heart that believes it. Remember to pray out loud if you're fighting a spiritual battle because the enemy cannot read your mind or hear your thoughts. Praying in the Spirit means praying according to God's will. It is agreeing with the Holy Spirit's perfect prayers for you in every situation. When you don't know what to pray, simply ask God to show you or pray in agreement with the Holy Spirit without even words. Just pray, I agree, Jesus. Remember, too, that God is your defender, and he will fight for you, and he will fight with you. An example of this is in 2 Chronicles 20:17. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. In Exodus 14:14, 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. God is light, like the sun, and Christians are to be the moon, reflecting his light in the world. Matthew 5, 14-16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. What are some of the very simple ways that we can reflect God's light daily? Be considerate. Really see people. Acknowledge the invisible people who serve you in the checkout lines, direct traffic on the street. Be polite. Open the door to help a stranger who looks like they need a hand. Be faithful. Offer to pray with someone if they're having a bad day. Telling people that you will pray for them is great but really doing it on the spot is even better. Act on the promptings to call and check on people that God puts on your heart. Pray for rude people. They have a story that you don't know about. Take advantage of conversational opportunities to share where you get your peace and your hope and your joy. Give God the credit when people ask you how you do it. Be grateful. Thank people for what they do for you. Send a thoughtful note or a card to encourage or show your appreciation. Be friendly. Make somebody laugh, especially on a day that it looks like they need a laugh. Smile at people because smiling is contagious. Be joyful. Sing a Christian song joyfully as you go about your day and watch how that changes your mood and your mood will reflect on other people. Be patient. When you're going through something tough, model your faith by showing grace and peace throughout tough times so that people will ask you how you cope with those pressures so well. Tap into the patience of God because patience does not come naturally in frustrating situations. And when you're patient, when people expect you not to be, that gets their attention. In today's Experience Jesus Encounter, we're going to ask the Lord to highlight the biggest reason that you have that keeps you from more freely sharing your faith and light with others. If this is your first podcast experience with us, you may want to go back to the trailer episode and learn about the biblical foundation for dialogue journaling. 
our process for experiencing Jesus. This leads you through the first special place encounter with Jesus as a child. This is a starting point for all of our experiences with Jesus. For best results, it is always good to properly posture your heart for your experience by welcoming Jesus' presence with praise and thanksgiving and playing with him in the special place as a child for a few minutes before asking for anything from him. Before you ask Jesus anything, I want you to take a greater look at your special place. He's added something to it. I want you to look deeper more and more and notice what it is that he has added to it. Maybe you hear something new. Maybe you see something new. I want you to continually stretch your special place even before you invite Jesus into the scene. So when you do have your time with Jesus and you've played with him a little while before you ask him anything, what you're going to do is ask him to show you that specific thing that holds you back from sharing your faith and light from people. Allow him to speak into that issue for you and help you see it. Let him put the flashlight on that thing in your heart that keeps you from having the courage to speak for him and he'll explain it to you. Then allow him to give you a glimpse of yourself living, having overcome that thing. See yourself not afraid anymore. See yourself boldly sharing, and see yourself making a difference because you have. Allow the Lord to give you that picture. That is a real spiritual picture. It is not in your imagination. The Lord is showing you something real here. Jesus will never give you a glimpse of something that's not possible for you to do or be. So take that in and really allow him to work on your heart and teach you or show you something. And enjoy the time and take all the time you need, record it all in your journal. I hope you really learned something about yourself today and that the Lord really showed you the pathway to an even greater surrendering and impact for him. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.